This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. There are a few topics that Fast Company covers that readers can't get enough of, and Bad Bosses is towards the top of that list. Probably because we've all had them, we all hope we aren't them, and if we're currently suffering under one, we want to know what we can do. Today's episode is an edited version of a LinkedIn audio discussion I had recently with senior editor Julia Herps and staff editor AJ Hess, where we covered how to manage your manager and offered advice for managers to make sure that they aren't making the missteps that could make employees disengage. Take a listen. Hello, and welcome to Fast Company's now monthly LinkedIn audio event. I'm Kate Davis. I'm a deputy editor at Fast Company, and I'm also the host of the New Way We Work podcast. And I'm joined today by senior editor Julia Hurst and staff editor AJ Hess. Hi, Julia and AJ. Hello. Hi. Today, we're talking about like everybody's favorite topic, bad bosses, the different types of bad bosses, how to deal with them, how to manage up. Uh, when to know that it's time to quit, and if you are a manager, how to know if you're inadvertently being a bad boss yourself, because spoiler alert, your employees probably will not tell you. Uh, So we're going to be diving into a lot of our past reporting on these topics, dropping links to related articles in the chat for this uh, during our discussion, and if you have a question or a comment, you can drop them into the comments for this event anytime during while we're talking. And if there's anything for us to address, we'll get to it at the end. Uh, So before we get into how to deal with bad bosses, I feel like everybody has a bad boss story, but maybe Julia and AJ, maybe you don't. (laughs) Present company excluded, hopefully, and hopefully not from your current job. But do either one of you have a, a bad boss story and how you dealt with a bad boss? Man, this is such a disappointing answer. I've been pretty lucky in terms of my bosses, (laughs) so I don't actually have a a super fun story. But um, that said, we do a lot of writing and editing about bad bosses, so um, I think we're going to have a lot to draw on here. Yeah. AJ, have you had a a bad boss? (sighs) Yeah, I mean, you know, the the joke dying to be made here is that both of you, I, I would say, are considered my <laughs> I know, bosses. this is the world, um, world's most awkward so, conversation. I'm like, uh, not you your want to current tell us bosses, right? Uh, so my point being, no, of course, I've been very, very lucky. I think the only example I can think of is I've never had a direct boss or direct manager who, who was bad, but I have had, you know, higher ups who have disappointed me a little bit. And ultimately, I found that it often comes from this place of like insincere humility, where like, when I meet my higher ups, I really want to be like inspired by them and impressed by them. And there's been a couple times where I've met with higher ups who are, are just so humble, where they're like, oh, you know, I don't know anything. I just, it's a mistake that I got where I am today. And um, that always grinds my gears because I want to believe there's a reason why, you know, my bosses and higher ups are uh, are where they are. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't heard that person because usually it's the, the other way around, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, I'm the greatest thing ever. But I mean, yeah. you make a good point too of like, you probably, I'm assuming that experience didn't make you want to leave the job because if you have a direct manager that you get along with and respect, then that kind of makes up for sometimes the the upper management that's that's not meeting your expectations, right? Or is it still, do you still kind of feel like, mm, this isn't the place no, for me? No, 
no, that's definitely the case. I've only ever gotten to work with really wonderful people who often were able to kind of laugh at the same situations as me. And uh, that can also be super bonding. Yeah. As Julia wrote about last year, like the the position of the middle manager can sometimes be mm. tricky, difficult one, but sometimes is like one of solidarity where it's like, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm on the same in the same boat with you. Well, I set you guys up because I do <laughs> bad boss stories. Let's hear it then. You just well, wanted I've, to share your bad boss story. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. Like, you don't have bad bosses? Well, let me tell you. Um, this is many, many, many years ago, and I feel like I've told this story on, on the podcast probably before we cover, you know, we actually did an episode on bad bosses and if you're inadvertently being a bad boss. But I had kind of the cliche bad boss many years ago that that yelled all the time. She threw things a lot. I mean, it was really like a Devil Wears Prada. It wasn't a magazine, but it was a Devil Wears Prada sort of a situation of high expectations and volatility. And throwing things and yelling is certainly hostile behavior. None of it like completely crossed a line, but nobody who worked for her was happy. And all of us looked for new jobs. So yikes. Yeah. (laughs) The adage of you don't quit a job, you quit a manager, I think is definitely, definitely true. That also wasn't a job that I liked very much either. So it was a a double whammy. But And we heard in a lot of our polls, unfortunately, my experience is pretty common. Having a bad boss is pretty common. So in one of our polls, we asked what the most annoying bad boss behavior is. And we only gave four options. There's, you know, probably a myriad of bad boss behaviors, but the options were micromanaging, being absent or disengaged, um, not giving you credit or being condescending and hostile. And condescending and hostile, no surprise, one, but only by a little margin. Micromanaging was actually the, the second place in that with 39%, which is, I find not surprising either. We've covered in all of our coverage of bad bosses, micromanaging um, comes up a lot. So if micromanagement is your issue, like is your bad boss issue, I think the reason why is that autonomy is really important to a lot of people, especially with remote and hybrid work. And I feel like the push and pull between micromanagement on the boss's side and wanting autonomy on the employee side is really came up a lot more as we shifted to remote and hybrid work. If your boss is micromanaging you, there are a few ways that you can deal with it. I think the best way is to be kind of tactfully direct. If you don't already have a weekend check-in, I suggest that. (laughs) I'm like, we'll bang the drum of like weekly or regular check-ins with managers and direct reports. It baffles me that people don't do it. It's kind of the best way to be able to say, like, here's what I'm working on. What's our priorities? What are we, you know, as opposed to kind of having that, like, constant, you know, Slack messages or whatever to, to check in. You kind of set the expectation. And I think, you know, you can work together to outline exactly what kind of deliverables are expected, both in kind of a short-term and a long-term basis, and then agree on, like, what amount of check-ins make you both comfortable. I mean, if you have a micromanaging boss, they probably want more information figuring out like what will give them what they need to make them feel secure. If you think you might be a micromanaging boss, I mean, I would say think about where it's coming from, right? Like, is it a sense of insecurity or a lack of trust? Really, it's it's a matter of like focusing on results versus FaceTime. You know, we've covered this a lot too of like letting people kind of control their schedules. It does not matter how long they're sitting in front of a computer or if you can see them all the time, if they're giving you the work that you need. 
So yeah, what do, what do you what do you all think on on micromanaging bosses? Any experience yeah, with I mean, them I or think, tips? I yeah. think micromanaging is like one of those things that can really affect your quality of life pretty substantially if you're Definitely. an employee. You know, maybe more so than some of the other ones, especially if you have like a distant boss or you know. Um, but if you have a boss who's micromanaging, that's something that's going to affect your day to day. So it doesn't surprise me that those are the results and that a lot of people are pointing to this as a real pain point. Um, I think like on the manager side, if you're worried that you are micromanaging or just feeling anxiety because you can't physically see your direct reports in the same way that you used to when you were all in the same open concept office or something, mm. you know, everyone's more spread out now. A lot of people are hybrid or fully remote. I think kind of setting up examples where you like, okay, this week I'm just going to ask them about these things and see if they're able to meet these deadlines. And then, you know, once ideally your report is meeting those constantly, consistently, then you get kind of a little bit more trust, a little bit, you know, more of a sense of faith that like they can meet the bigger deadlines. And then you kind of scale back all of the nudging and check-ins that sometimes I think managers try to overcompensate with. Yeah. I think that's a great point because then you have a totally different issue if, you know, you set the clear expectations. These are the the things that need to be accomplished each week or, you know, what we need to focus on. And they're consistently not happening. You know, micromanaging the person more is not going to solve them. Then it's, you right. know. Yeah, it's not really a micromanaging problem in that case. Yeah. You had, uh, Julia, another uh, frustrating thing that, that bosses do. Yeah, so this is kind of the flip side, I guess, which is, you know, being a, a boss who is MIA or absent, uh, maybe they're not providing you any feedback or maybe even worse, they're only providing feedback uh, like late in the game in like a public setting. That's kind of a nightmare scenario. Right. And so I think honestly, some of the solutions are kind of similar of, you know, having regular check ins and sort of proactively asking for feedback in a way that, you know, it would be ideal if managers just provided that feedback consistently to you. But the truth is they don't always. And so sometimes you need to solicit it, you know, more directly. Um, you know, ask questions about what you should be doing differently or, you know, if they're looking for something else. Um, I think sometimes in these cases, it's like an instance of a manager being really overwhelmed by what they have to do. I wrote about this a little bit in that middle manager piece, but like often managers are being asked to do whatever their individual job is and then also managing on top of that. So it can just frankly be overwhelmed and not have time to be handholding. So I think it's important to prioritize kind of like when you are getting that FaceTime, like what do you need? Are they like holding you up in certain ways? Is there like information that you need from them in order to get to the next step on the project? Like that's really important to prioritize. Ask specifically if you need feedback or like how you can reach them if there's an emergency, because ideally you're not going to be in a situation where you're just waiting around for them to come and tell you a piece of information so you can finish a project. Like, I'm sure they don't want to be holding you up and you don't want to be in that position either because that's extremely frustrating. So I think it's a little bit about kind of prioritizing, making the best use of that face-to-face time or calls whenever you can, and then asking, like, what do I do in case of an emergency so you're not getting held up on projects? Yeah, this that's a lot of managing up. And you make the good point, and we've covered this in, in various ways of people are get promoted to be managers because they're good at their jobs, but they haven't necessarily received any training or know anything about actually being a, a manager and are probably usually really overwhelmed with lots of other things. And so it's a case of like literally asking for what you want. And if you, yeah. you know, if you have a, a decent boss, a good colleague, a good coworker, you know, if you say, 
I really want to learn how to do this thing. Can you help me with this? Ask for what you need from them. Or like, I think another thing that speaks to this point of your boss being kind of MIA is like, you know, you put the meeting on the calendar, but then it keeps getting canceled. So it's kind of figuring out a way like, so this doesn't seem to be working. What kind of way can we check in regularly that would work? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think we talk about this all the time, but like so many managers are managers just because they were good at whatever their job was before. And then they get pushed into this job, which, you know, managing is its own craft, right? Its own skill set that can be totally different. And, you know, sometimes there's not a lot of crossover. So it is very frustrating when you're stuck in a situation with a manager who doesn't really know how to manage or doesn't prioritize managing and is just prioritizing their own stuff. But sometimes really it's just a matter of being like, here's what I need. And like, how can we come up with a way to work together more effectively? AJ, you had kind of the other side of the no feedback coin. Yeah, I mean, on the other side of not getting enough positive feedback, there's also this idea of not getting enough negative feedback. And I think finding that balance is so important. I think to your guys' point, feedback can not only help you do your best at your job, but it's also kind of mutually beneficial. And I think one of the big top line stats that we found after surveying people is that being a good boss can improve retention, right? This idea that people leave bad bosses. We asked if you've ever left the job because of a bad boss and 48% said yes, 39% said yes more than once, and only 13% said they haven't left a bad boss. And so I think one thing I want to just make sure we put the points together is that this productive communication and good feedback isn't just good for workers, it's good for organizations and teams more broadly as well. Yeah, totally. That does not surprise me at all that that people have left bad bosses. What are ways, AJ, to ask for negative? I mean, because that's such a tricky one, right? Of of Totally. Of like, you can ask, what do you need from me? What am I doing? But yeah, that holding back negative feedback, I think is something people might find surprising because you want to hear that you're doing a good job, but you need to know if you're not doing a good job. Totally. Yeah, I got the chance to edit a piece by Mita Malik that I really love about managing up what she calls being your boss's boss, um, which is it kind of touches on what you guys mentioned earlier, which is that a lot of people are put into management positions because they were great at the technical parts of the job prior. Um, and sometimes they need to be taught how to be either a boss in general or how to be your boss. Some of the things that Mita recommended was, you know, keeping your boss informed about what you're working on, raising problems that you're solving so they know exactly what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, so they don't, you know, miscalculate how much work you can be assigned, things like that. Um, And to make sure you're keeping all members of your organization up to date on your work, she kind of suggests that staying connected with the broader parts of your team can kind of protect against having one individual bad boss um, to kind of make sure that your spot is secure in a team more broadly. Oh, that's a really good suggestion because if your direct boss, maybe you don't have a great relationship with them, but if you can have, you know, get yourself seen and appreciated by the broader organization, then you are in a, a little bit more safe position. Exactly. She recommends, she's like, even if you don't work in accounting, you know, make some friends in the accounting team, make friends on the HR team, make friends, uh, you know, across your organization, because that can kind of hopefully protect you against one individual bad boss. I think we've we've covered this before, like nobody is indispensable, nobody's irreplaceable, but it kind of makes you, uh, puts you in that, that better position. Exactly. Well, okay, so I'm going to now talk about the biggest one, the one that, you know, is the worst case scenario. You have a boss that is toxic or disrespectful. 
I think this is the case where um, usually the best course of action is to look for another job. Um, <laughs> obviously, that's not always possible, depending on the behavior. So I'm, you know, I'm not talking about like truly across the line, egregious, abusive behavior, but just like a difficult, I mean, I guess maybe we would put my pen throwing boss in this category, but, you know, depending on the behavior, if you're in this position and you can't leave, depending on the behavior, you can work to identify their triggers, kind of preemptively preparing for them. So for example, if they like give you vague instructions, but they expect you to know exactly what they want, you can ask them something along the lines of like, I know it bothers you when you get a report that doesn't analyze all of these things in detail. Can I run a few questions by you to make sure I'm focusing on the right things? I mean, in that way, it's it's really managing up and dealing with behavior that they should know better of, but like trying to avoid those, those kinds of triggers. Obviously, if they're abusive or they say or do things that cross the line, you can go to HR, you can talk about being transferred for a different team, but again, like likely it's probably best for you to find a, a new job. You're a manager that has found yourself yelling or losing your temper. I think those types of bosses a lot of times don't even have the awareness that they're in that position. But if you have your awareness that you're kind of crossing the line, that's a really important first step. You know, also for all managers, even if you don't think you're that bad or you're wor- or like you're listening to this and you're like, oh, wait, do the people that work for me not like me and they're just not saying anything? Diana Kander, who I spoke to for the podcast on an episode that was titled How to Avoid Inadvertently Being a Bad Boss, she pointed out that direct reports obviously are not likely to give their bosses honest feedback, but she suggested that people in management positions, and really anybody couldn't do this, is that you have regular anonymous 360 reviews. And so a 360 review, I'm sure everybody knows, is where you have people um, who work with you in different capacities all give you feedback anonymously. So that way, because obviously your direct reports are not likely to tell you to your face or a fear of retaliation that your blind spots, you know, and, and getting that feedback and and really taking to heart that feedback is a huge opportunity for growth and improvement. And I always think about that when somebody is giving you honest feedback, they're giving you a really big gift. And even if it feels wrong to you, you know, looking at it and, and figuring out where it came from and what you can do is obviously really valuable. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to be getting some negative feedback from your boss anyway. I also, I don't know, I was thinking a little bit about kind of how you navigate the looking for a new job if you've decided that your workplace or your boss is so toxic that you need to leave. I wonder if we might just touch on that a little bit too of like, you know, what do you do if you are leaving a job because you have a bad boss, but you can't go into an interview and say like, the reason I'm interested in your company is because I'm trying to leave my bad boss. You know, what's a better way to kind of frame that to a potential new employer? Yeah. Like, even if you think, you know, you'll never work for that person again, trash talking your former or current job or boss is never, ever a good idea. It does not make you sound, sound good at all. Yeah. I would think, you know, in, in those situations, when you, when you're asked, if you're asked, like, why are you looking for a new position? You know, you can highlight that you feel like you've kind of done everything you can in your position, or you kind of shift gears as much as possible to focus on what you're excited about in the new job that you're looking for. Um, and then hopefully, you know, if you're asked to give references, you know, as, as AJ was talking about, hopefully you've built those relationships with other people in your company that you can point to and you kind of, you know, shift the focus to to those that you have good working relationships with. 
And I think it's maybe a good opportunity for you too, if you had a bad boss, to think about what you would value in a boss and kind of highlight that. And in both your job search, kind of suss that out. And we've covered that before of like how to how to suss out a like a good manager or a toxic work environment in the interview process. You certainly know what you don't want and you know you can help help you look for that. Yeah, it can be very informative to have a bad boss and you can try to look for the opposite in your next opportunity. I've, I've never worked for a pen thrower since. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, that actually reminds me of one of the trends that I see a lot on TikTok, which is um, people will say, what's the professional way to say my boss sucks? Or like, what's a professional way to say stop emailing me or whatever? And if I'm going to play the exercise here, I imagine one way you could say in an interview that, you know, my boss sucks is say, you know, right now I think I've expanded and grown out of my current role and I'm looking forward to working for a team and a leader who uh, allows me to become a better version of the worker I am today, right? I think there's a professional way to, to really spin that in an interview. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I think like you've gone as far. I've gone as far as I can go with this person. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. Well, we want to talk also a little bit about what to do if you're on the flip side of this, right? If you're a manager looking for ways in which you can grow, realizing you're falling short in one of these ways. I did want to say before we do that, I see a couple people are raising their hand. If you have a question or a comment, feel free to stick it in the comment section of the event. We can address some of those at the end. You could just type it right in there. What should you do if you're a manager who's, you know, listening to this and being like, you know, I think there are some opportunities for improvement. I think, first of all, like, it's great to be thinking about that. Like, you know, like Kate said earlier, um, that's a really good first step that having that awareness, because I think a lot of toxic bosses and bad managers just don't have that awareness. And I do think that, you know, for a lot of middle managers, you are in a really challenging position. So I think, you know, anything you can do, any training opportunities or opportunities to get, you know, some sort of formal mentoring are really great. So maybe that's a conversation you need to have with your manager. <laughs> I think another thing that's great to do is try to identify the type of leaders you really admire, whether that's in your organization or, you know, more public leaders. What do you respect about their leadership style? Um, and kind of thinking that through, you can kind of model your behavior after theirs. We talked a little bit about the feedback thing. It can be hard to get honest feedback from a direct report, but I think, you know, anonymous 360 reviews are a great option. And just also talking regularly, opening those lines of communication. You know, I think it's easy to say, like, how do you like to receive feedback or, you know, kind of open it up so it's more about working with your direct reports, like their best practices and the best way that they work if you set it up in that way. And then I think also just setting up a regular check-in, that's so important. If you're not having those lines of communication open when there isn't a problem, just, you know, regularly, it can be really hard to open those lines of communication when like an actual issue arises. Yeah, I think it is hard to get that honest feedback. We, we put it in our performance reviews. When you're giving your employee a performance review, I think they should be giving you a performance review too. And it doesn't have to be an awkward, like, what am I doing wrong sort of thing. It can just be like, how do you like to be managed? You know, asking people that work for you how they like to be managed. There's a SCARF assessment, which I maybe have mentioned before. It's from the Neuroleadership Institute um, that I think can be useful. I don't think it's, it sheds a lot of insight on you personally, but for a manager to give it to their employees could help the manager. So it's basically like, what do you value and find meaningful in work? And so from that, you can discover like kind of how your direct reports want to be managed. So if they value autonomy, that can give you a clue that, you know, you should not be micromanaging them. They value connectedness is, or relatability is one of them. That that kind of means that maybe they, they want more check-ins. 
One thing that maybe seems super simple, but one thing I think that managers can do if they really are invested in improving their leadership and their abilities as a boss is to make sure that they're just practicing empathy um, with all, all that they can. And I think those regular one-on-one -on -one meetings do a really good job to do that. I think they also allow you a minute to pause and just connect with the people who are directly reporting to you. You're, I think, making sure you're using and leaning on phrases like, how are you doing? How is this work going for you? How do you feel like your job is going? I think those expressions are really helpful in terms of practicing empathy and actually gathering that active feedback from those people who might report to you. Yeah. And they don't have to be super formal. You know, it doesn't have to be like, we need to go through all of these things every single time we check in. But I think it's just sort of a matter to your point, AJ, of like, when you are checking in with people, getting a sense of what's happening in their lives, you know, are there any like small roadblocks that have come up in a certain project that can be resolved now as opposed to when they spiral and become something a lot bigger, you know, a couple of weeks down the line, you know, and just checking in to see like what are sort of the pain points or other things that could be going better. It doesn't necessarily need to be like a whole, you know, formalized system where boxes are getting checked and, you know, things are getting submitted. Totally. Did we mention the the other poll, the the what's the best way to deal with a bad boss? No, I think that's a great thing to bring up. Great. Yeah. One of our other LinkedIn polls that we did um, we asked what the best way to deal with a, a bad boss is. And the options were to talk to your boss directly, to talk to HR, to vent to your coworkers or to quit. And I think kind of unsurprisingly, maybe from from everything we've been talking about, most people said quit. Yeah, I, I think most people feel really frustrated in the the bad boss situation and you know they don't <laughs> feel a lot of hope and they also you know like it's a lot to ask to manage up and to manage your boss and to tell them you know how to be better at their job so i think you know most people do end up quitting talk to your boss directly was the next highest vote getter which is great and makes sense and is everything that we're talking about with the managing up talk to hr was was 15% i think a lot of people pointed out in the comments the fear of retaliation there, um, you know, the belief that HR is there to protect the company, not the employee, and that a lot of people said things along the lines of it puts a target on your back if you complain to HR. I, you know, hopefully that's not always the case. I do think sometimes there's, you know, situations where you could potentially get transferred to a different team or, you know, that could work out. Certainly if it's abusive behavior that crosses the line, you should report it and you should take those necessary steps. And this just speaks to how <laughs> evolved and intelligent our audience is. Only 3% said vent to your coworkers, even though I feel like, isn't that the like knee-jerk reaction that you want to do? I think everybody recognized that that's probably not the best way to deal with a bad boss. No, I think that's definitely true. And I think, you know, the only thing I'd add to this, you mentioned, you know, uh, it's not easy to be your boss's boss, is that 100% uh, want to make sure that we make it clear that a lot of this is easier said than done. When you're dealing with a boss, we're also thinking about really clear power dynamics that obviously exist. If you're managing a boss, that's not only is that not your job, but this is a person who has potential power over how you spend your time, over your professional opportunities, over your livelihood. So I just want to make sure that as we wrap up today, that we make it clear that dealing with a bad boss is absolutely easier said than done. And, you know, workers are ultimately not responsible for the actions above them, but that there are tools that you have at your disposal to make sure that you're making the most of every opportunity. 
For sure. I think that's really important to emphasize. And also, you know, there's something, you know, while you're looking for a new job out there, sometimes you do have to kind of figure out a way to make things work as well as possible. Sort of that like survival mode while you're looking elsewhere. And, you know, I think that's just about focusing on kind of what you can control on your job and, you know, what is required of you. And when there are opportunities for conversation or communication or being clear about what you can and can't do, that's great. But like sometimes at the end of the day, you know, it it's about just sort of prioritizing what you need to do, um, you know, and what you can do. And, you know, you're not going to solve your bad boss's problems for them if they're not also trying to improve. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think all of this is part of a learning process that hopefully grows for both the uh, managers and for employees. Once you have a really bad boss, you learn what to look for and what you will and will not put up with and how to manage up and how to deal with these things. When you yourself are in a management position, you can think back to the bosses that you've had. And I think we've all been there of like, oh, I definitely don't want to do XYZ that this person did. I really admired XYZ that this other person did and and hopefully have the self-awareness to try to model yourself off off of that and and things can keep hopefully getting better and you're not stuck in a, a bad boss cycle. I guess that's it. I don't think we have any questions. So we're going to keep it short and sweet today. AJ and Julia, thank you so much for having this fun conversation about bad bosses with your boss. Uh, hopefully it wasn't awkward. <laughs> uh, you'll give me some anonymous feedback on what I did wrong. And I'll do another shameless plug. LinkedIn does not have the feature to record these conversations. So if you came in a little late and you missed something or you weren't able to hear the whole thing, we will use this audio for a bonus episode of the New Way We Work podcast. We also talk about all of these sorts of issues. We have um, past episodes on how to know if you're inadvertently being a bad boss and um, why so many, I think another uh, related one is we did an episode about why so many incompetent men become leaders, also about bad bosses. And we have lots and lots of uh, articles on this topic. So lots more on bad bosses. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next month with another LinkedIn audio. Thanks. Thank you. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Work is changing every day. What's the most pressing issue on your mind? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag The New Way We Work. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen and Julia Shu with editing by Nicholas Torres. 